0: Good morning, Christ Prez. We're making our way through the book of 2 Corinthians, and remember, one of the themes of this letter is power in weakness. The death and resurrection of Jesus are not only God's way of saving us, uh, they are the pattern for life following Jesus. They aren't just the path to life after death, but also the way of life for us before death. Just as God's power is made known through the weakness of the cross, so God's power is made known in and through our own weakness. The earliest disciples could identify with feeling weak. You know, after Jesus was crucified, his followers probably felt like the biggest losers in the world. First of all, they had put all their hopes in a person who they thought was the promised Messiah, but then he got executed by the state. On top of that, they were feeling pretty terrible about themselves, I imagine, knowing that they had abandoned Jesus and betrayed him. The, the gospel accounts tell us, remember, that they hid away in fear. But one of the most amazing things about the Easter story is this. Not only does Jesus, the crucified Messiah, rise from the dead and triumph over the grave, but he then comes to these demoralized, discouraged, ashamed, embarrassed, and unreliable disciples, and he says, you all are now going to be my frontline heroes in my world-saving mission. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He says, you will be my witnesses. Jesus Christ is alive and ascended in glory, and he is on a mission to heal the world. And who does he recruit to be a part of this work? You and me, people like us. Ordinary, broken down, insecure, often ashamed and overwhelmed people like you and me. Weak people. This is what our passage shows us, that God uses weak people to communicate the truth and power of the gospel. And so you can be sure of this, that that despite your weakness, uh, if Jesus has called you, he's also sending you, that there is no knowing Jesus without also being sent by Jesus to be a part of his redeeming work in the world. Our God is a missionary God, and therefore we are his missionary people. And what does that really mean? Well, in our passage, Paul offers two metaphors to describe our missionary calling, two images that depict how we are called to be his witnesses to Jesus and agents of his inbreaking kingdom. Let's look at these images. First, we're incense bearers. We are the aroma of Christ, spreading the fragrance of the gospel. Look at verse 14. I'll read it again. But thanks be to God, Paul writes who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Paul is drawing on an image that would have been very familiar to the Corinthians. It's unfamiliar to us, but when a Roman general experienced victory in battle, there would be a victory parade in his honor. There are over 300 accounts of these events recorded in Greco-Roman literature And one element that all these parades had in common was a group of incense bearers. They would hold censers high in the air, burning aromatic herbs. And as they marched along, the incense they burned would produce clouds of smoke and fragrance. And, And this was the smell of victory. And so the image is of us following Jesus in a triumphant parade, spreading the knowledge of God's victory in Christ everywhere we go. Which sounds great, right? I mean... Parades are fun, especially victory parades. But remember, part of what Paul is doing in this letter is defending himself and correcting the Corinthians' misunderstandings of what it means to follow Jesus. Remember, the Corinthian culture was all about glory and honor and power and security, and they assumed that victory meant moving onward and upward to success and fame and celebrity. The Corinthian Christians Criticize Paul because he seems so much weaker and less impressive than the other leaders they were familiar with. Well, Paul is wanting to subvert and overturn their conceptions of what real power and real victory looks like. And so he calls to mind this victory parade. The thing about these parades, and we know this by looking at the historical accounts of them that we have, is that the people being led by the conquering victorious general were those who had been defeated in battle and taken captive. They were often being led to suffering and to death. Here's how one commentator explains the significance of this. He writes, As the enemy of God's people, God had conquered Paul at his conversion call on the road to Damascus and was now leading him, as a slave of Christ, his favorite term for himself as an apostle, to death in Christ, in order that Paul might display or reveal the majesty, power, and glory of God, his conqueror, close quote. And, and so, um, in using this image, Paul is really complicating our understanding of victory and triumph. See, it is real victory and triumph. Jesus Christ has won the decisive battle and conquered sin and death once and for all, but now he leads us on a way that still includes trouble, and tribulation. I mean, the way to eternal life still includes death. You see, this is not the kind of victory parade that can lead to any kind of triumphalism. It's not about becoming more and more successful and moving on to greater and greater strength. Paul is inviting the Corinthian Christians and us to resist this kind of Christian triumphalism, which is hard. I mean, it's always been hard because we like to win and we want in our heart of hearts, a victory that bypasses suffering and death. This has really always been the case. The church has always struggled with this. Paul Barnett, he's a Christian scholar. He reminds us that, and I'll just read a quote of his. He writes, quote, The Emperor Constantine believed that he won his greatest battle through the first two Greek letters of Christ's name, which were inscribed cross-like on the shields of his soldiers. Many subsequent Christian leaders have sought victory in battle in and for the name of Christ. In the Middle Ages, it was believed that God was glorified through soaring cathedrals and spectacular church ceremony. Closer to our own times, there have been um, some expressions of missionary work in underdeveloped countries, which appear to have been as much inspired by a spirit of colonial expansion and cultural superiority as by obedience to the Great Commission of Christ. For his part, Paul consistently applies anti-triumphalist language to his ministry throughout this letter. He is the Corinthian servant, a dying man, weak, and a fool. His ministry, like his Christ, was characterized by crucifixion. Close quote. See, we have to remember that the pattern of death and resurrection isn't just the way that Jesus rescues the world— It's the way of life he calls us to. And so back to this image. I mean, what is it that spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere? What is it that gives off the aroma of Christ? Family, it's a life of humble, sacrificial love. It's a life that regularly looks out for the interests of others. It's a life that is willing to be inconvenienced when it comes to our time and resources and relationships. It's a life of humble sacrificial love. I mean, this is what spreads the knowledge of God everywhere, which is a way of saying this is how God brings people into relationship with Himself. Because remember, I mean, the knowledge of God, knowing God is never simply about uh information. You know, it's not knowing about God, it's knowing God relationally. If you think about your own life with God and in your story with God. I bet you can think of people who along the way have sacrificially loved you so that you got to know God better. They, they loved you into the knowledge of God. So this is one way we're taken up into the mission of God, that, that we're um, included as participants in his mission. We are like these incense bearers. We, we give off the aroma of Christ as we love and serve others. I take this to be an image about how we live. You know, part of our calling as missionary people is is to be this aroma of Christ, to help people have an experience of the difference that Christ makes in the way we live. Our words are so important, and we'll get to that in a moment. But as important as our words are, our way of life, like how we live and love and serve is so crucial for people actually understanding the good news about Jesus. In a post-Christian age like the one we live in, where in many cases people are just kind of inoculated against the message of the gospel, thinking they know what it's all about, how we live becomes absolutely vital in communicating the good news about Jesus and his grace. People need to see how following Jesus actually makes a difference. You know, one of the things that made Jesus so attractive to so many Was how category-defying he was. I mean, on the one hand, he was he was deeply conservative in his commitment to the law and his submission to God and his upholding, in many ways, traditional morality. On the other hand, I mean, he was radically progressive in his application of the law, in his love of the poor and the marginalized, in his inclusion of women, in his courageous stands against injustice. I mean, Jesus didn't fit. The conservative Pharisees hated him. The liberal Sadducees hated him. He was the smell of death to them. I mean, they thought he stank. But to the low and the last and the least and the lost, he was the smell of the kingdom. He smelled like love. He smelled like the grace of God. You know, it was the same with the early church. They didn't fit. We'd say now that they were conservative in their views on sexuality and marriage in their commitment to being pro-life. I mean, they were against abortion and infanticide. Yet they were so radical in their gathering of diverse ethnicities and cultures, in their radical um, care for the poor and the marginalized, in, in their radical sharing of resources. They were radical in their commitment to non-retaliation and forgiveness. They just didn't fit. I mean, revolutionary groups hated them. Conservative religious groups hated them. To them, the church, it it just stank. It it smelled like death. But to so many others, especially the poor and the excluded, the church smelled like Jesus. And they changed the world. You know, so many today have written Jesus off, not because they have something against Jesus, but because they don't see anything different about the church. They, They see the church living the same way everyone else lives treating people with disdain and hatred, just like everyone else, Uh, aligning, aligning ourselves with conservative and liberal camps, just like everyone else. When we do that, we stink. We smell like death. When we follow the same patterns of selfishness and disdain and greed as everyone else, we lose our standing before the watching world. Jesus is inviting us to love others in a way that sets us apart to follow him as his captives and incense bearers giving off the aroma of Christ spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere So that's the first image and it's so suggestive but that's that's just the first image that Paul holds up Now let's look at the second one We're not only the aroma of Christ these incense bearers we're also letters written by the spirit communicating the grace of the gospel. Look at verses two and three of uh, chapter three. Paul writes, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts such a striking metaphor that that we are actually vessels of communication to other people, written by Jesus himself with the Spirit, called to share good news about his grace with the people around us. You know, there are a lot of different ways we could unpack this metaphor, but let's just think about uh, some of the ways. First, uh, it's obvious, but letters must be sent. For a letter to make a difference at all, it has to be sent. You know, I have a a binder that I've had since uh my college years when uh Libby and I first started dating and it's a binder just jam-packed full of letters that she wrote me over the years and, and I continue to put letters from Libby into this old binder and I, I I probably have hundreds of them at this point. And I just think like these letters made such a difference in my life and the only reason they made a difference in my life was because Libby actually sent them to me. I mean, if she had just written these letters and then stashed them away somewhere or thrown them away or burned them in a fire, um, well, we probably wouldn't even be married today. But she, she lovingly wrote the letters and then sent them to me, and that makes all the difference. I mean, if we are going to be letters from Christ to other people who don't know Jesus, well, we have to be sent, which means we have to actually enter into other people's lives. We have to know them. We have to be friends. We have to be in community. We have to have real relationships with people who are our neighbors and classmates and co-workers and colleagues uh, who might have very different ways of viewing the world than we do, who might disagree with us about all kinds of things, but we just have to be their friends. Elizabeth Brunig um, she wrote a fascinating article in the Washington Post about how in previ- previous generations, Christians tried to change society by taking power and by legislating laws for better or for worse. Well, today, she said, the impulse to change society has been replaced by an impulse to retreat from it, to withdraw. But this is not the call of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus didn't tell his followers to change society or to retreat from society, but rather to just be salt and light in society, to be his faithful presence in the world, in every part of society, not retreating from it, but engaging with it. See, we have to be sent. Well, another thing about letters is that they have to actually communicate a message. You know, a blank piece of paper in an envelope is not a letter it's just a blank piece of paper and an envelope. If you send it to someone, they'll probably be confused and disappointed. A letter needs words. It needs a message. What's our message? It's not a message about us. It's certainly not a message about our goodness or how right we are. It's a simple message about Jesus Christ. That through Jesus, God has come into the world to defeat sin and death, to liberate us from those evil powers, and to bring his kingdom of life and liberation and hope. You've heard that old saying, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. You know, I think there's so much about that that I like. I mean, it's nice as far as it goes. In a way, the gospel must be preached by how we live, by our humility and selflessness and forgiveness and love. But that message won't ultimately be understood without words. I mean, there are times when it is absolutely necessary to speak explicitly about Jesus. Well, so letters have to be sent, and the letters that are sent have to communicate an actual message. Um, But then third, they need to communicate in a way that actually connects with the recipient. I mean, have you ever read Shakespeare recently? It's English, but it's just, it's so foreign to us. It it can be hard to understand unless you're just really immersed in Shakespearean English. Um, sometimes Christians talk to people who aren't Christians like they're talking in Shakespearean English. And so we say things like, Jesus covered me in his blood. And, and you have to just think that to someone outside the church, that sounds absolutely Um, well, (laughs) probably gross and just confusing that I think, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, it's not that kind of language that we need to communicate to people unfamiliar with the gospel. My guess is what people really need from us is simply our authentic story. Like how have we experienced God's grace and how has the love of God in Christ actually changed our lives? I mean, that's the message I think that people want to hear. Well, letters need to communicate in ways that connect. I wonder, family, when was the last time that you talked with a friend who isn't a Christian about Jesus? I wonder if this week you might start looking for opportunities and being attentive to the ones the Spirit provides. Well, Those are the images. We are incense bearers, the aroma of Christ called to make known the gospel through how we live. And we're also letters of the spirit. We're called to make known the gospel through how we speak. Jesus is on a mission to heal the world and family. We're part of that. We are God's sent people. God intends to make known the truth and the power of the gospel through weak people like you and me. And so maybe you're feeling totally inadequate, like you're just not up for this at all. Like like the thought of talking to someone about Jesus just terrifies you. Well, you know, that's kind of the point. <laughs> I mean, the key in all of this it seems to be in, in chapter 3, verse 5, where Paul says that in and of ourselves, we just aren't adequate. Um, we aren't sufficient. We aren't competent for this. But he says our sufficiency, our adequacy, our competency comes from God. God is really good at perfecting his power in our weakness. And so Paul has tremendous confidence, not because he has what it takes or has all the answers, but because he knows that Christ has what it takes and Christ is in him and he is in Christ. You know, the gospel itself, is the good news that we are saved not by our goodness and abilities, not by our competencies, but by the goodness and ability of Jesus acting on our behalf. And the same is true for the work that God calls us to. We are competent as witnesses, not because of our abilities and strength, but because of God's power in our weakness. This work is God's work in us and through us. It's God's mission, not ours. Incense bearers, What do they do? They just walk along smelling up the place. Letters, they just get written on and sent. Our job, family, is to stick with Jesus, to stay close to him, to let him do his good work in and through us. Well, may it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.